Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And this is the second attempt at the Hardcore Church Planning Podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit afraid. Like the, the boom is going to lower at any minute. We're going to get going, and then the axe is going to drop. So, uh, Peyton, introduce our guest today, and uh, let's get into this great topic. Yeah, so we are here with Alex Early. He is currently working on a PhD in intercultural studies, but you may know him as very involved with Acts 29. He started the Acts 29 West Academy and launched the Acts 29 podcast, and he's written a book called The Reckless Love of God. Alex, welcome on, man. Hey, thank you so much for having me today. Excellent. Alex, one of the first questions we always like to uh, start out with and to introduce our audience to you, uh, tell us a little bit of your story of how you came to faith. Yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up in Woodstock, Georgia, where I, where I make my home right now. Um, and I grew up in a Christian family, grew up growing, going to church. My grandfather was a pastor. Um down at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, and then on and on. So a, a long line of Christians uh, in my family, a lot of heritage. And um, But I, I didn't really become a Christian until the age right before I turned about 16. Um, I kind of believed the gospel in some ways, and yet it hadn't really taken root to actually transform my soul. And I knew that based on uh, the lack of fruit in my life, that was evidence that I, I didn't know Jesus as a 15-year-old. And so um, I was getting into, you know, a lot of trouble like a lot of high school boys do, um, you know, running around with girls, fighting, started partying and getting into all of that kind of stuff. And um, really was making a mess of life uh, for uh, a few years. And then... Um, I started going to church, not just on Sundays, but on Wednesdays also to uh, hear our, our youth pastor that had come in and our youth ministry had actually just exploded. And so he was huge on the grace of God. Hmm. And um, I don't know what it was. I mean, now, now I know it was the Holy Spirit that actually took it. But um, there was a band playing one night and they were they quoted John 316 in a song. And um in hearing John three sixteen for the hundred thousandth time in the church, for whatever reason that night God saved me, and um, I actually believed that Jesus loved me and gave His life for me, and um, and so that's how I, I, I became a Christian. I was going to church basically to see my girlfriend, uh, and before long the Holy Spirit got me, and so. Um, that's that's really how I came to faith in in Christ. Hmm. That's awesome. It, you know, it's funny because the book, The Reckless Love of God, is very similar in the sense where it takes what people probably think they already know, have already heard, 
and really sets to magnify. And I got to be honest, man, I had that experience reading it uh, where I really felt God speaking to my heart through this mm. book. And, you know, I know before the podcast, I personally thanked you. Before we get into that, um, and I really think it's relevant towards church planners, but I want to hear a little bit of your heart for church planning, how you got into church planning, and um, then I'll hit you with another question after that. Sure. Yeah. So I got into church planting um, a few years ago, maybe 2006, 2007, I came across um, the Acts 29 network, and I never, I never really seen or heard of anything like it uh, at up to that point in my life. Um, that is, I didn't know quite where I fit. Uh, I'm reformed when it comes to my soteriology and believing that, that God saves sinners and seeks us out. Um, and yet I really felt very called to be, uh, to, you, to, to use the term or overuse the term again, missional, to engage unbelievers where they are, in the context of where they are. I really wanted to see, is it possible to contextualize the gospel in a way that makes sense to people that don't know Jesus? And so between being reformed and yet wanting to be a friend of sinners and being complementarian and not being a cessationist and all this, like trying to figure out where do I fit? That was a hard place for me for a long, long time to really find where I fit. And when I came across Acts 29, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I had really never even considered um, church planting to be quite honest. I, I wanted to just go be a professor, hide out somewhere and uh, do that. Not that every professor is hiding. By the way, but I, I did want to. I did want to. <laughs> some of you are quick save. Quick yeah. save. Some of you. Are, you know, yes. So, the ministry just, of reading books and drinking coffee. Dude. You know, I think I would like that kind of duty. <laughs> I'd love it. Yeah. So I honestly kind of wanted that over and above being a pastor. Um, and but uh, as I was studying to go be a professor and. Uh, I came across, uh, I was doing historical Jesus research and studies and studying the quests for the historical Jesus and all that fun stuff. And one afternoon, I was reading in Matthew's gospel uh, where it describes Jesus as a friend of sinners, and that's where my heart was lit on fire. It was something I just could not shake uh, to go, wait, he was a friend of sinners. I'm studying him as a historical person, but I don't really want to be like him here in this place in time and history, you know? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, and so that really just gripped me. And before long, I came across Acts 29. And um, I guess I was like, well, I guess I better get into church planning then, because that's that's where all this comes together. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> I kind of accidentally stumbled into church planting. It wasn't anything that I, I thought, this is what I should do with my life. I should plant a church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Um, Cause that's what the apostles did. I mean, yeah, I, amen. So, you know, I don't need to do that. So what was your story with church planning? What happened? Yeah. Um, well, I was working at a church at the time when I really began to be convicted about this, uh, becoming a friend of sinners. And, uh, I was basically, I wasn't a friend of sinners. Um, I went to my wife after reading that passage of scripture and told her, I was like, Hey, I, I scrolled through her phone daytimer all that looked at our calendar and was like all of our friends are safe polished 
Christians. Uh, we all go to church. We all go to Bible study. I mean, everybody kind of has their life together, so to speak. Um, and I'm really convicted about that. So I, um, I started looking around in the town that I lived in at the time, and, and it was in Noonan, Georgia. It's on the south side of Atlanta. And uh, I thought, well, I'm going to go try this whole friend of sinners thing. So I quit my job at the church, and I was a, I was a, a pastor of, I don't know, I forget what it was, but it was some kind of community pastor kind of role in the I, church. I, I it changed gonna, all the time. It's I, not that it doesn't matter, but uh, I thought you were going to say you were the janitor at the church, so you know, oh, you, you no, quit no, it. I, not a big I did deal. The janitor at the bar. Oh. I, I did. I, I got a job at a bar um, in the in the town, and and you know, out in San Diego, it it's not crazy to see a pastor hang out at a pub with a friend, but um, microbrewery capital of the world. I mean, you guys have billions of bars it's crazy uh so but for it, for us in the south in particular in that particular town it's the the pagans go over here to the bar the christians stay in the church and they never hang out they never intersect they just don't and yeah, if they yeah. do happen to bump into each other uh they just kind of you know hmm. keep it keep it separate so very sacred secular divide very it, it's crystal clear so for me it was like well i want to go be a friend of sinners where are the sinners like oh they're all in that building so it was pretty easy. Not that they weren't in the church too, but it was just, it's, it was an explicitly like, we don't go to church. We're not Christians. So I went to uh, this bar called the Alamo that was on our city square. And uh, it's just basically a rock and roll bar. And that was it. And I decided to get a job there as a bar back which is different from a bartender. So I did become a janitor. Uh, and so my job was to sweep cigarettes, clean the place up, uh, run the door, change kegs, occasionally do inventory, stuff like that. And um, night after night, I found myself there at the bar working and befriending people that were very much so not like all my church friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and I really found myself answering questions about Jesus and the gospel and all this stuff I've been studying in seminary. So like, uh, like one night I, I remember that my friend Ivy came in and he and his girlfriend came in we closed at like 2 AM and they, they came in at like 1 AM on like a weeknight. Like, Oh my gosh. So they show up at 1 and he's like, dude, we're not going to stay long. We just got a question. We've been talking all day. I was like, what's going on? And Ivy and his girlfriend, they were atheists. And he goes, uh, we were cleaning out the back garden today. We came up, we found this turtle and um, on, we picked it up and we we're looking at the back of the turtle shell. And we just started saying, it looks like somebody painted this, designed it, but we, we don't, we just don't even know what to do with that. It's like, we don't believe in God, but this thing just looks unbelievable. So they're like explaining the turtle shell to me. And I'm going like, you guys. Sound like you smoke weed all day. Right, it does. But uh, (laughs) but regardless, uh, he's like, so what's this about? And I was like, well, thinking like, okay, well, in theology, they call this uh, natural argument. You know, we can argue from design. And they're like, okay. I was like, so there's a designer here. And so the next question, his girlfriend's like, so does that mean we're going to hell? I was like, whoa. I was like, you guys. (laughs) From 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 the back of a turtle shell. (laughs) Looking at it, it, the design of creation to, are we going to hell? That was like, he skipped a, just a few I mean, steps in the middle. That's what I told him. I was like, dude, y'all went from atheist to theist. 
to Christian theology about afterlife in like one step. And they were like, yeah, I guess I did. I was yeah. like, I'm pretty well, sure I don't know everything about what you're asking, but I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that the Holy Spirit may have been here first. <laughs> it was just like, so I started having like, conversations like that i was like well let's talk about let's let's slow this conversation down and like but you know but i started having conversations like that night after night in the bar uh with just friends that were just hanging out and um they would be like hey let's ask the reverend over there what he thinks you know kind of jokes or you know so it was one of those kind of situations and um this was at the time where i was just learning about acts 29 and one night I was cleaning the men's toilet guys uh, got really sick and threw up everywhere. And so I had to clean the men's restroom up. And as I was cleaning it up, like I just flat knew God was calling me to plant a church in that bar. And, um, it was so, just- so drunk guys puke on the floor <laughs> is not the normal answer for how did you know you were called to ministry? <laughs> I don't know. It was more like somebody's got to do something about this. This is crazy. <laughs> so, so I'm learning a lot about you, Alex, by the way God speaks to you. Okay, continue. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's like really, really glamorous. Let me tell you. That's um, awesome, dude. So, yeah. t- so what happened? So you plant a church and you're yeah. planting a church in a bar and like what's happening? Yeah. So um, that was so I went home that night after cleaning the men's restroom. I'm feeling like the Lord has just called me to church planting. I woke my wife up about 3 a.m. when I got home from work. And I was like, hey, babe, uh, this was prior to us moving to London, England. I was planning on moving to sc- going to school there. And uh, she was like, well, I was like, I feel like God's called us to church planning. She goes, well, uh, what about London? I was like, I don't know. Let's just go there and then maybe we'll come back and plan a church. I don't know. We got to figure that out. So we moved to London. And then uh, you at we LTS. Yeah, yeah, we went to the London School of Theology. Oh, uh, we know we know some of the same people. Yeah, so it was very it was very cool. Um, yeah, it was a great experience. So moved there, prayed the entire year. had a I had a few friends before I left Noonan saying, "Hey, I, I want to come back here and plant a church in this bar." None of the people in the bar are Christians, but I want to plant a church in here. I don't know how, but I'll, I I want to see it happen. And so a couple of my buddies were like. All right, dude. Well, if you go there and come back here, we'll we'll help you. So I came back, and um, about a week before we moved back from London, uh, our dentist emailed us and said, "Hey, are you planning on coming back to Noonan?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Do you have a house to live in?" I'm like, "Nope, not yet." And he said, "Well, uh, I have a house right off the square. You could live there if you want." And um, you know. I mean, people might buy it soon, but you could stay there as long as you want. And so we're like, okay. So we just moved right on in. So we had a free house. We're like, that's in the budget when you're in church planting. It's free. It's always in the budget. That's like your only budget. Um, and so we moved home. We moved into this house. Um, and we went downtown on the square that week. There was a, 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 um, a big festival going on. And my friend Amy, that owns the bar, uh, came outside that night as my wife and I were making our way back to the car. And she goes, Hey, Alex, I heard you want to like start a church or something. And Amy was an atheist. And, uh, and I was like, well, yeah, yeah. And she didn't know, like I wanted to start a church in her bar. She just heard that 
I wanted to start a church. And I was like, yeah, I do. I want to start a church. Um, she goes, cool. Can I come? And I was like, yeah. And, uh, she was like, uh, can I bring my girlfriend? And I was like, yeah, sure. And, um, so she was like, and can I bring other friends from the bar too? I was like, yeah. She goes, where are you having church? And I was like, uh, at my, my new free house <laughs> uh, <laughs> on Sunday, we're just going to have like a core group gathering, but sure. You guys can come. And so, uh, they came and they brought friends and about 45 people just showed up at my <laughs> little house on Sunday morning. We didn't have electricity hardly on in the place. I mean, it was like still in boxes and tons of friends showed up and everybody's like, let's, let's do this. Hmm. So, um, that afternoon there was a barbecue and Amy said, Hey, that was really cool. What you had to say about Jesus today. And I was like, awesome. Well, I'm glad you came. That's really cool. And you and your girlfriend and I, that's awesome. Y'all are with us. And she goes, um, well, you're going to need a bigger place because your house is packed. And so I just like cashed in on it right there. I was like, well, why don't you just give me the bar? And she was like, it smells like cigarettes in there. And I was like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. We'll, 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 we'll do They're that. all from the bar anyway. <laughs> I, mean. I was like, whatever. We don't care. So she, um, yeah, that was, and so she goes, okay, well, here you go. And she just took the keys right off her little uh, belt loop thing and, and handed it to me. And he's like, here you go. And I was like, how much do you want for the bar? And she goes like, nothing. You're just going to talk about Jesus. I was like, yeah, pretty much. And she was like, okay, well, here you go. So she gave us keys to the bar and I was like, she, and then she like, held up her PBR and was like, Hey everybody, we're having church in the bar next week. And, everybody, yeah! and, like, <laughs> and there's the church. So we had a free bar and a free house. I was like, cool. That's wow. That's what so now let me, let me get this straight. Did she give you the bar? Like you owned it after that? No, no, no. Just, <laughs> oh, okay. I was just checking. But that, would, that would have been a cooler story, but your story is pretty dang cool. Anyways, that's cooler than the most. So how do you fund your church? Coors light. <laughs> yeah let's yeah, just say okay so i have i have to tell this joke only because i saw it two days ago and jokes stay in my head for three days so i'm sure. gonna lose it but uh it was a cop pulls over a minister and he says to him uh reverend you've been drinking and he goes why no no officer not at all and he goes uh uh wh why is it uh he goes do you have any alcohol in the back he goes no sir that's just water in, in, in those containers. And the, uh, the cop says, well, why, why do I smell wine then? And the, the, uh, the, the reverend says, good Lord, he's done it again. It's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I had to share that. It was pretty good. Hey, if you have a, you know, expiration date on a joke, you do have to. Do it <laughs> it's going to expire in 36 hours. You got to. I, 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 they don't stay long for me. I forget I, them. Well, let's actually get back to your book. Great story, but tell us, yeah. Alex, uh, Reckless Love of God, that's the name of your book, uh, Experiencing the Personal, Passionate Heart of the Gospel. Tell us why you wrote this book. Yeah, um, gosh, I wrote that book really, it was it was really an overflow of my own heart um, a couple of years ago. Um, over the last, I think, five years, I... I've come to believe that God doesn't just love me because he has to, but he likes me. Mm. Um, and I've become more convinced 
and I've had to walk out a whole lot of repentance, honestly, of wanting to be God's employee rather than God's son. And, um, and so that book started to capture some of that theology and that, some of that kind of thinking and relating to God. So a, a couple of years ago, Jana and I, we were on a, a vacation down in the Florida Keys, and we had this awesome little house that somebody gave us to use for the week. And there was like a lagoon outside, and we were out there swimming. And uh, I was like, hey, I've got a lot on my mind. I'm, I'm just going to go inside. I want to write for a few minutes. And she was like, okay, cool. And essentially, out came the a, a good bulk of the reckless love of God. It was kind of a skeleton, kind of just hodgepodging these ideas about the love of God and the grace of God, and um, putting those ideas down on paper. Uh, and then later, uh, about a week later, I decided I'm going to start committing like a day a week to working on this a little bit. On my, on I had two days off a week, so one day a week I was going to, you know, work on that a little bit, mm. and. Um, and then later, one of my buddies found out that I had been writing a little bit. And he was like, hey, I want to introduce you to my friend, Andrew. And Andrew Wolgamuth, who is in the, uh, he, like, they do, um, gosh, like, he's like a book agent, really. He, he's like, I want to see your stuff, man. Let me see it. And so I was like, sure. And I sent it to him. He's like, I love this. Let's, let's send this over to Baker and Bethany House. And sure enough, that's how it got in print. So it was really just more all of this was in my heart just to get down on paper um, as I've been slowly really discovering the love of God for me almost 20 years into my faith, but actually believing, really believing uh, he actually, actually loves me and not in a, um, uh, and not in just like a, in a theory, but very, hmm. very much so really loves me and has done so and demonstrated it tangibly in the cross of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, and you communicate this in a way that, for me, as I as I was working through it, um, I, I noticed your chapters were interesting. Jesus loves me. Um, this I know. This is this is kind of the uh, for the Bible tells me so. These are the these are actually Jesus loves me. Me, you know, um, part one. Me, part two. You know, I mean, it 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 was really powerful how you laid it out. But like I said, yeah, I, I believe you were helped with this. Um, when we preach, for example, like for our listeners, we do not believe that God divinely inspires men in the same way that he did uh, when they wrote scripture. So we're not saying this is a second Bible. But you <laughs> know when you get that push in your sermon where the Holy Spirit has taken you and used you as a megaphone. And this book, I had that experience. Um, you and I come from very similar backgrounds, Um you know, we, we both have a love for the gospel, but, uh, my mentor was a guy named Peter Jeffrey. He was one of Lloyd Jones's proteges and he, he used to, he actually wrote a book called Christians need the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of radical back then. Um, he wrote that thing, gosh, seventies, eighties, but he went through a mini revival kind of like Lloyd Jones did where every single Sunday for a few years, people got saved and they would say he would run to the pulpit. He couldn't wait to get up there and preach because he knew people were going to be romanced into the arms of Christ. And so um, as I read this, I really personally felt what you were aiming for happening to me. In fact, your book moved me to tears um, on, on numerous occasions. The first time in the book um, that really was kind of a, a breakthrough. I mean, I really liked it. I could feel God stirring my heart as I started it 
but the story you told about your dad when you got busted and the way he lived out grace for you. Um, can you share that story? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that one gets me like right here. I have a picture of my dad right here with me. Um, so my dad passed away seven years ago, uh, last week. Um, so mine 10 years ago last week, brother. Yeah, dude, <laughs> man, man, it's, uh, you, you know, it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a whole other conversation, mm. but, um, and part of this book, I think was maybe even processing some of that, um, was even recording this amazing memory was kind of therapeutic, honestly. Um, not kind of, it's not, you can't be kind of therapeutic, can it? Anyway. So, um, yeah, so I had the worst day of my life, basically, as an eighth grader. Um, I was, uh, I think, 14 years old, and this girl uh, dared me. I had already been, I had failed, like, I'd already been failing six out of seven classes. I was only passing typing with a 70, which is literally, that's the 69 and under was failing. So I was passing one class. I was getting in a lot of trouble. I had been in and out of enough in-school suspension and alternative school, et cetera. It was just bad. Um this girl in my history class in second period said, I dare you to steal this kid's fundraiser candy that was sitting in front of her. And, it, and you know, and you, the kids come to school with like the Reese's cups um, and they sell them for a dollar and there's four of them in there. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. So I, I stole the kid's candy out from under his desk, slipped it in my backpack, went to third period PE and uh, handed out candy to all my friends. Then my, Principal came in and said, I need to see Alex. I was like, oh, dang it, I'm busted. And so she took me into the men's lo locker room and said, did you steal candy last period? I just looked her right in the face. I was like, no. She's like, let's open your locker. Opens the locker. Oh, lo and behold, there's candy wrappers and money and stuff like that. And she's like, come with me. So I go to the office. And instead of sending me to in-school suspension or out-of-school suspension or anything like that, she's like, I'm going to call your father. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So she calls my dad. My dad worked downtown Atlanta, had to drive all the way. It's like 40 minutes drive to come and get me from school. So my dad, you know, takes me home. I'm basically grounded for the rest of my life. Um, that night, it was a Wednesday. I'll never forget it. That night, it was like the only time I ever asked to go to church. On uh, Wednesday night, I was like, hey, can I go to church since I'm grounded forever? Can I at least go there? And they're like, sure, but no funny business, no getting in trouble. You're grounded forever. I was like, sure, go to church. Lo and behold, I got in a fight at church and broke a kid's glasses and um, in the fight. And so then I get in my mom's minivan to go home after church. And like, how was church? I was like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> and the phone rings at about 10 p.m. And I knew, I was like, oh, no, that's going to be that kid's parents. And it was a minute later, my door flies open. There's my dad. What have you done? You know, and I just, and so basically I'm still grounded to this day. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, and so, but the next day, uh, being an out-of-school suspension, my dad said, hey, uh, this morning he's like at noon, we're going somewhere for lunch. You need to dress nice. I was like, all right. And I started thinking like, this might be my last meal. He might take me to military <laughs> school. Honestly, I was like, cause he had threatened with military school. I thought, Oh no, this might be our last lunch together till I'm 20. So, um, 
So he takes me downtown to the Peachtree Plaza here in Atlanta, which is a big, tall uh, cylinder building that has a restaurant at the top that rotates. It's beautiful and lets you see the whole panorama of the, the city. It's a Most cool church planners can't afford to go there. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but my dad could because my dad wasn't a church planner. <laughs> so, um, I'm just telling our listeners they won't know what it is. They will never see this place. Oh, no, no, no. You'll never see it. It's okay. It's a, you'll never see it. That's for sure. Um, but I did as a 14 year old. Um, and we went up there. And so we had the, my dad orders us two fillets. We eat lunch and it's almost completely silent. Like the whole lunch. I'm like, this is just crazy. And then, you know, he puts his fork and knife down and just starts to talk to me very plainly and very lovingly without guilting me or shaming me, he just goes into saying, hey, man, look, I know that you're miserable making the decisions that you're making right now. And I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, I want what's best for you, man. And I was like, I do too. And he's like, so that's all. I love you. And then he ordered us some tiramisu. <laughs> <laughs> what? This is crazy. And um and that was the day that the gospel began to really start making sense. Yeah. That God God used my father in that gracious way to really connect with me, going, I thought for sure I was just that was it. And it was, no, I love you and I want what's best for you. And that's all. And so that was that story where the gospel began to take root. I love what you say on that. You say, I didn't become a believer that day, but I honestly believed in that moment more clearly than ever before that my dad loved me, that he wanted to be with me. My dad wanted me. If salvation is a process of coming to the light, that day I took my first step because kindness really does lead to repentance. And you know, I laugh a lot more often and a lot louder than ever before. Reading your book, you are funny. I mean, I, I love seeing a guy's humor come through. I love seeing the references. Um, you know, it was really good, man. And I, and I have to say, if guys out there, if you're in danger of being God's employee and not living as God's son, not letting God just simply love on you, I think all of us do that. If you're in church planning, you're in church planning because you want to see God's glory. Uh, you want to see people come to faith. You want to expand the borders of the kingdom of God. And sometimes you can get your worth from that. And your worth doesn't come from that. Your worth comes from the fact that God loves you. He's the only one that can place worth on you. And the fact he was willing to die for you. But I love what Alex brings out. And it really does come out in the book that God loves you, not because he's God and he has to, but he likes you. So guys, get this book. If you want to revolutionize your own heart, which is where everything else gets revolutionized, pick it up. It's the reckless love of God. Our guest today has been Alex Early. And Pete, uh, go ahead and do your thing. Well, we've always got a final question that everyone hangs on and listens until the end of the podcast so they can hear the question and your answer. So here's our question for you, Alex. If you were to get into a physical fist fight with Darren Patrick, who would win? (laughs) Well, I know what I want to say, that I would win that fight. but Darren probably actually watches UFC, uh, and I couldn't really care less about that sport. So I'll just go with Darren like mine. He'd win in a fight. Big deal. But what if he had a weapon? 
If I had a weapon, oh, I'd win. I'd what win. What would be your weapon of choice? Oh, uh, probably some nunchucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they all sound bad. <laughs> I love it. Little, I'm pretty sure Michelangelo. I, I'm pretty yeah, sure I would hit don't. myself in the head with nunchucks. I'd be trying to swing it, then bam, <laughs> just right in the skull. Yeah, they may actually take more coordination than I'm giving myself credit for. <laughs> hey, you may think you're cool, but you're not Bruce Lee playing ping pong with nunchucks cool. Now, that <laughs> is the coolest cool I've ever seen. But was that real, that video? It's real. Is it? He really did that? He really did that. Ah, he is cool. <laughs> uh, he, he did the one-inch punch. He did all that stuff, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, more. <laughs> that's in a future book that I have coming out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh the the book again is reckless love of god you can get it on amazon.com or wherever fine christian books are sold the publisher is bethany house and again our guest has been alex early alex can't thank you enough man for writing this and coming on today yeah totally thank you guys for having me all right with that arnold sign us out remember if you are called to church planting go hardcore or go home You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.